This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I'm here with Freddie Trillo. Freddie is uh, a longtime Miami-Dade police officer, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner and martial artist. Fascinating, fascinating background. Uh, really excited to be talking to you, Freddie. I, I love the work that you do. Uh, so impressed with all the content that you've been putting out, both uh, technically and also for your greater mission of bringing jujitsu to the police force. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who, who, who is Freddie Trillo? <laughs> Freddie Trillo, I've been a cop. First of all, thank you for having me on on this uh, wonderful podcast, Jordan. Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's really an honor to be here, and I really appreciate and uh, the opportunity that you're giving me. Not so much to promote me. This is not so much to promote me. This is to promote the wonderful art of jiu-jitsu and uh, how jiu-jitsu has changed my life, has changed thousands of lives. But I think that my story on how I got started in jiu-jitsu is quite different than most people. As it relates, especially not just to my personal life, but to police work in general, because as a cop, I'm a, I'm still a cop, but I'm more on the reserve side, so I'm kind of not full-time a cop right now. So, but anyways, do you have time for this story? It's, uh, it's uh, what else? What else are we doing, Freddie? <laughs> okay, okay. It's a, it, it, it's bear with me. It's a pretty pretty long story, but I'm gonna cut straight to the to the points of interest. 1992. Tell me. Who knew jiu-jitsu in 1992 in the U.S.? In the U.S. Which we're still Maybe. a year away from the UFC at that point. Yes, I think the first UFC came out, uh, what was 93. it? 93. 93, exactly. Yeah. And that's when I first saw a horse. But before I even get there, let's backtrack this. 1992, I was a rookie police officer down here in Miami. Guys, not my 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 first week when you become a new officer uh, you graduate you do your nine months in the academy and supposedly they prepare you for whatever encounter you find in the streets so i believed i was naive i I figure I'm in the police academy they got the best instructors they got the best techniques they got the best equipment not Anyways, uh, long story short, when I graduate, when you graduate the police department, you do, and every department's different. So I'm sure somebody else will think it's different in their department. Every department's different. But down here, you do about two to three months right along with an actual cop that's a trainer. Because just because you graduate the academy, doesn't mean you can start going out there just like school. You graduate college. Does that mean you can just step out into the field and start working immediately? No. I mean, it's not that easy. Okay. You have to be mentored along. Somebody has to guide you. Okay. You graduated school. I know that's what you learned, but this is how we apply it. Right. Most of the time, completely different than how you were taught. <laughs> but um, long story short, man, um, I'm driving my car, my police car. It's a beautiful day sunny day it's beautiful i see a car speeding okay he's speeding he both stop sign i figure 
it's traffic related, right? I'm thinking it's just in a hurry. I don't know. <laughs> I activated my lights and um, he pulls over like immediately. Oh, I mean, the moment I got behind him, it's like he breaks and he jumps out of the car. That's not normal behavior. Most people, oh, they're pulling me over. Do they want me to pull over here? Whatever crap. But this was, I started in a, this was a high crime area of Miami, Opalaca, for those that are watching that are familiar with the area. 1992 had the highest crime rate, one of the highest crime rates in all of the U.S. at that time. It was really bad down there. The area that I was working. What better place to get started in police work? <laughs> I pulled this car over and I didn't have time. Normally you pull over, you have a few minutes, like a minute or two, you call your dispatcher, hey, I'm on a traffic stop and you give the description of the car, where you're at. So everybody knows if something happens, they know where you're at. I didn't even have time to do that. Because when he jumped out of the car, I had enough sense, I call it ghetto sensibility or common sense to know that this is not normal. Had he run away, because if he's just trying to stolen car, for example, and he gets out of the car and he takes off running, okay, perfect. If I can catch him, I catch him. If not, I can set up a perimeter. Worst case scenario, you don't catch him. You still go home. Well, this is different. He did not run away. He ran at me. Hmm. Nine months of training in the police academy, defensive tactics. Not one day they taught me what to do when somebody runs at you. Wow. That's very surprising. Yes, because everything is somebody is resisting or trying to get away from you. But that's anybody running full throttle at you. So again, my common sense, my street sensibility kicked in. And I knew I was dealing with something a little bit more into it. So I said, I said, I got to bluff this guy. I got to throw him off his, his track. I said, I said, yo, dude, are you okay? I saw you, you dragged. Are you okay? You have somebody hurt in your family. You need to get to the hospital. Something's going on. Can I help you in something? Boom. The guy stops because now I rattled him. Yeah. Okay. Now I rattled his thoughts. Okay. Um, so I can see the, the hamster started spin, stopped spinning. <laughs> and I said, listen, I, I, I stopped you because you're driving quick. And now I'm beginning to get a little more answers, hopefully a little bit more answers. And I said, listen, I stopped you because of this. And I mean, if everything is good, you're free to go home. So just let me see your license. If everything is good, 12 o'clock, man, you can go wherever you want to go and I can go have lunch. Guy pulls out a wallet, opens a wallet. And the ID picture falls. And as it falls from his wallet, picture this. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, it lands right on the floor. Yeah. I look down at it. He looks down at it. Okay, I'm 5'9". 1992, I was maybe 150, if that. Uh, 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 a pen. <laughs> this, guy, this guy was like 6'2", 230. Chiseled. 
Yeah. We're not talking, we're talking chiseled guy, black male, uh, strong, solid guy. I remember his name. I'll never forget his name. I'm not going to mention it to glorify him, but, yeah. but I'm not going to mention it. But when the picture falls, it's a white male. I look down at it. He looks down at it and he looks at me. And inside of me, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> he, I mean, we're like three feet apart. So talk about a dilemma, the famous word that you use with Gordon Ryan. Uh, talk about a dilemma. My dilemma, my small dilemma was throwing that, that question in. But it only lasted it only gave me an advantage for a, for a few seconds. He picks me up, picks me up in the air, slams me on concrete, Oof. mounts me. This is 1992. Who the hell knew about mounting anybody? Apparently yeah. he did. He mounted on me and just went to work. Broke my, chipped my tooth. Broke my nose, busted my lips. My nose was a, 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 a wreck. It was blood everywhere. My eyes, talk about, I'm a brown. But they were completely black, you know, a few days later. I even had to take a couple of days off. But the thing is this, as he was there hitting me, the only thing that was entering my mind was the same thing that I know millions of people before they die was thinking mm. to themselves. I cannot believe that this is happening to me. Ooh, yeah. Chills. Because it, that is, you're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about anything else or that you're hungry or you got to go to the bathroom. The only thing you're thinking is, I cannot believe this is happening to me. And there's nobody here to help me. It's just me and him. He's going to work. I didn't even feel the punches, to be honest with you, because your adrenaline is going so fast. Your heartbeat's going 100 miles per hour. And all you see is you feel the boom, boom, boom. And then you start to see the flashes. He grabbed my radio, threw it over the fence, so I had no radio to call. He grabbed my handcuffs, ripped them from its uh, holster, threw them over the fence. So I had no radio and no handcuffs. The only thing I had left was my sidearm, my, my firearm. But anybody in their rightful mind would know that when somebody is on you and you have a weapon on you, the last thing you want to do is try to take that weapon out, especially since he is in the mounted position, he has all the leverage in the world to pull that gun away from me. And I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just, I'm just going to stay here and try to hold him. And hopefully he gets tired. Yeah. It felt like an eternity. Do you know the only reason I survived that is because inside of my mind, I remember looking up at the sky, looking past the guy, the guy's on me. And I'm looking past him and I'm like, I just can't believe this is happening to me. Yeah. And then I can hear sirens because apparently some people saw what was going on. And they, I heard the 911 calls. Hey, you need to get somebody over here. You have an officer here that's about to get killed. 
you hear the 911 call, he's about to get killed. This guy is killing an officer. So finally they showed up. He got tired of beating me up. He couldn't kill me. He was trying to choke me. He was high on crack cocaine. He was, he had like, it looked like foam coming from his mouth. That's how enraged this man was. I never met this guy. And for, it, it, it's, it's weird to meet somebody. He knows nothing about me other than I'm in uniform. And he all, the only thing he wishes to do is kill me. He was telling me he was trying to kill me. Yeah. And in my mind is like, why are you trying to kill me, dude? I don't even know you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Um, I made it past that incident, obviously. And I remember I was so for a few weeks. I couldn't work for a while because I couldn't go. I was so embarrassed. I didn't even, even my mother, my mother to this day, because I grew up in a single home, just with my mom and myself. To this day, she doesn't know unless she watches this. She doesn't know what had happened to me. I told her that I got into a car accident or something. I didn't tell yeah. her that a guy tried to kill me because then she would have been freaking out. Yeah. I remember sitting there in 1993, UFC came out and I'm sitting in my friend's house and I'm like, and I had been already looking for a martial arts, something, anything that can help prepare me for what you find in a street fight, which is, yeah, all fights start standing, but they're pretty much 90%, a lot of them end up on the ground. 90%, that's, the, that's a pretty accurate number. I would say even 100% if you refer to law enforcement, when was the last time you or any viewer watching this has ever seen an officer put the handcuffs on a subject that was actively fighting them on their feet? It doesn't happen. The yeah. moment the person starts resisting, you take it to the ground because that's the place where you can neutralize his ability to harm you further or to hit you because, you know, you put him on his back. He doesn't have the leverage or the ability to hit you. You can control him easier. So, yes, I needed something that was going to prepare me for ground fighting. So I looked at judo, eh, a lot of throws, but still not really what I needed. I tried uh, Aikido. I tried looking at karate. And I'm not putting all those arts down. They're wonderful for what they were meant for. Mm -hmm. But none had what I was looking for. And when I saw Hoist in the first ones, I remember I was sitting in my friend's living room. And I'm like you and like everybody else. This skinny guy against these monsters? What the hell? But then this skinny guy was like, I remember, I'm, I'm, I was silent because I was like, I don't know what this guy is doing. But the only thing I watched Hoist, but the only thing I can see was myself doing what Hoist is doing. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't understand this jujitsu, but I need to learn it. And I need to step outside of police work and get better training so that I can because my lively my livelihood my livelihood was police work and i knew i was going to do it for many more years so a couple of years went by and i couldn't find any jiu-jitsu and then it was one day finally like two years later after that uh a school opened up i heard a place teaching jiu-jitsu in miami and i was like where's that i'm gonna go Oh, it's in downtown Miami. You're from Miami, right? Or you're at least from South Florida. You have family down here. I'm from New York. My parents live in Boca Raton. 
Have you ever been to Miami? I have spent an unbelievable amount of time in Miami. <laughs> okay. Do you know the traffic situation from Kendall to downtown Miami at 8 a.m.? I do. It's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a freaking nightmare. I don't care how long it took me. I would drive my car. I live down, deep down in Kendall. I would drive my car to the metro station at Land Mall, ride the train down to downtown Miami, get off, walk several blocks, like half a mile to the Centrist building, which is in Brickell, in, 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 in the center of downtown Miami, and climb up, uh, you know, go up to the 20-something floor wherever they had the jiu-jitsu class. And then remember when I walked in, of course, it happened to many people. They put you against the smallest guy. <laughs> oh, you're new to jiu-jitsu. Oh, and I'm like, I seen all these, uh, Conan. You know, you know Conan Silvera? This is the uh, Silvera brothers. Here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, he's now in charge of, uh, he, he's now an American top team. And he's like the, the head coach of the, the MMA or whatever. Uh, started with him. He's big dude. I mean, big dude. I was like, oh, shoot. I hope I don't have to fight Conan because <laughs> he's obviously <laughs> going to destroy me. Uh, but no, they put, they, they, they brought a little guy, hey, uh, whatever the guy's name, come over here, train with him. And this kid, little kid, wiped the floor with me like it's been done with many. <laughs> and I was like, sign me up. Sign me up. Oh, um, um, a year contract. Sign me up. I don't care about contracts. I'm going to be doing this forever. Sign me up. Because I almost died. It meant something to me. Mm. So when I see these young officers not wanting to do, oh, I don't have time or, or it's too expensive. They're lazy, dude. They're freaking lazy. Number one, they're lazy as hell. Number two, they've never been to the point where they were about to die. Because if not, mm. they wouldn't even question it. They would be doing what I exactly did. And I did that for about, oh, I was with Conan for about two, almost about two years I was with him. And I would take that daily commute every single day after working my long shifts. And I didn't care. Well, I didn't have any family or, 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 or kids back then. So, but to me, I still had that drive that I would do it every day. Fast forward many years later, uh, I was only there with him for about two years. Then I switched over. I started training with the Valente brothers, Pedro Valente, who was, it was just really him in the beginning. Uh, he was a grad, he was attending University of Miami back then, uh, getting his master's in business or whatever. So I had met Pedro and um, I got along very well. He's a very, very, very smart intellectual guy. And he was one of the first guys to come up with like PowerPoints, for lesson plans, actual curriculum. Because remember, I don't know how far you go, how far back you go, but in the very beginning, it was disorganized because it was new. Yeah. We're gonna go over today. Uh, let's go over arm bars. <laughs> well, that was good back then, but things, you know, if it, like business, that's what this is about. You wanna make yeah. the product better. So uh, Pedro came in and having now that business mindset, he was like, well, 
And I'm sure he's, if you ever interview him, you'll get more better answers than me. Uh, I'm trying to relate information that he gave me years ago. And so what he did was basically took every, because he's, he, he's very close with Elio Gracie at the time when he was alive, and, and he got his black belt from them. So he got with everybody and said, listen, I'm, I'm creating this curriculum. It's going to help everybody out, help Gracie Academy back then in California mm -hmm. didn't even have a, didn't even have the curriculum that Pedro had mm. to my knowledge. I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, it didn't because they weren't as successful back then as they are now. They got yeah. successful when they started using, you know, when they started organizing things better, the business flowed better. Customer walks in, he sees the PowerPoint, he sees the presentation, he sees the clean environment. It's good. So anyway, that was part of, what caught my attention. And I stayed with Pedro for like 17 years. But let me ask you a question on that. So you've now trained under uh, Silverio brothers for two years and you're with the Valente brothers. You're an active duty police officer. Off of that life threatening situation, how much jujitsu did it take? How many months of training in your street scraps? Now you're starting to have to, you know, apprehend criminals, how much jujitsu did it take before you went from getting mounted and almost dying to now you have this like jujitsu superpower? Was it, was it immediate back then? Was it in the first two years? Was it, cause you know, jujitsu of course, isn't what it is as refined as it is today with the teaching curriculums and widespread. So I'm interested to know, like, did you, did it save your life in those two years? And you know, the subsequent two years after the event, Great question. Um, I wouldn't even say two years. How about we bring it down to six months? Yep. I could probably bring it down to two months because when I started, I was gun ho I was there every single day. By my first month, I knew very well how to get somebody off of my mount, very comfortably. So that same man would mount me a month after I had been he would not have been able to stay mounted on me. You can't because you, can, you can't defend what you don't know. Just like I they couldn't defend what I didn't know. Well, I guarantee you that guy wouldn't have known how to defend me getting out of there because he wouldn't have understand it. So I tell people, um, in general, if you go to a good school, and there's plenty of good schools, and just like you said, things have the system has gotten better. Schools have gotten better. They have learned to, to, to put things together so it could be a, a, a better flow. What took me many, many years to get to black belt, now it's been like cut in half. Some guys can get their belts in about eight years, probably even less than that. Depends on how young they start or how fast they are. So right now, I would say if you go to a good jiu-jitsu school, and you dedicate yourself to some good training within six months. I'm not even talking about belts. We're talking with, with six months of good training. You're good to go in police work. Literally good to go. Why? Yeah. Because you don't have to do any. When have you seen anything fancy in a street fight? Look on YouTube. You see any omoplatas uh, done in a street fight? That's yeah, nonsense. No. You don't have to do that. Because it's so simple. It's it's arithmetic. It's so simple. Two plus two. You know, it's 
you learn to you you you, you get you learn a good takedown. You learn how to defend the takedown. You learn how to control the positions. You know what the guard is. You know what the side mount. You know what the mount, and you know what the back mount is. And then from day one, you learn the three golden rules that I tell all my students. Don't give your back. Don't give your back. And if you get the first two, remember number three. Don't give your back. Okay. I'd have to add in don't go to your back either. I'll tell you a quick story. In 2017, when I received my purple belt, uh, I started teaching the uh, fundamentals class and the basics class. And I had uh, three police officers specifically in my class at that time. One of them who became a good friend of mine, he was uh, an officer up here in the Bronx in, in New York. And he now, because of YouTube and flow grappling, a lot of these guys are actually into jujitsu before they walk through the door. And so I had a police officer who as a white belt, he kept, if he was standing and someone was just had their feet up, instead of passing the guard, he would fall back for a foot, foot lock, but without knowing what to do. And I said, try that to me. So he'd fall back on a foot lock and I would just stand up on top of him. And I'd say, if you were in the street, would you ever fall to your back? Even if you see Gordon Ryan and all these guys doing a foot lock, so I'm going to add to your rule. Don't give your back. <laughs> Don't fall to your back if you're a first-time police officer. But I think that's yeah. an interesting little, a little, you know, something that I encountered as an instructor, which was now people are watching jujitsu, you know, that are walking through the door and they're seeing this highly technical game, and they're trying to recreate some of that on their first two months. So it's just a, a, a little caveat, also, but. Um, so, so let me, let me go back. So now you're, you're two years into uh, Valente brothers and you're creating this, you're, you're learning the, the art and you're an active duty police officer. At what point do you start to say to yourself, I need to bring this to other police officers. Like I need to spread the word. I need everybody else to learn this. Okay. And this goes along the lines of what you just mentioned about the officer sitting back for the footlock. Uh, I would, there's a lot of wonderful instructors around and many of them are not even cops. And still you can teach someone to do their job very well in police work because Pedro is not a cop and he taught me and I did very well in police work. But with that said, I approach it different. I have a lot of cops that train with me because they know I'm a cop and they like training with me because when I started training jujitsu, and, and I'm going to get to your question in a second, but I, I, I need to lay down the, the foundation to this part, which is all connected. I got to field test my jujitsu every single day because I was, I was very active officers. I'm a SWAT, um, uh, street tactical units. I was part of a robbery intervention unit. That's all we did, go after the worst of the worst in Dade County, and there's a lot of them. Um, so every single day, I got to practice my jiu-jitsu. I'm not even kidding when I tell you that I would do it every single day. And the guys that would work with me, they got to the point where, all right, we're just going to sit back and watch Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> I arrested a lot of people. And I also had the least number of complaints against me. That tells you a lot. Not just about the jujitsu, but also about me. I could have abused the power, but I refused to abuse the power. And I am against those that abuse the power. 
Mm. It's just a wonderful art. And that's the message I've been relaying for many, many years. Ask me if I've ever done, and I, I can pretty much say with guarantee, that there's very little officers used more jujitsu than I did because I didn't have cameras back then. Talk about an open. Uh, nowadays, the moment you walk out of your house, assume that there's a camera watching you. It's a different times. Yeah. And it's going to get even worse. You're not going to have any privacy and absolutely everything you say or do is under a microscope. I didn't necessarily have that. So I got to practice a lot. Ask me if I've ever done a, a, an arm bar in a street fight. Mm. Paintbrush. Right. A simple paintbrush. Kimoras, number one. All day, every day. Kimora is the number one to me. The number one take, or I mean, the 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 uh, rear naked strangle. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that that's gold. Um, but um, yes, kimora and strangle both of which caused no injuries at all because once you lock in the kimura he can't go anywhere he's locked in and that's all i would do i'd take people down big guys too i remember one guy spelled out of a stolen car he's running he's pulling out the gun he had a gun on him too he, as he takes the gun and he's running i'm right behind him i can see him uh he takes the gun and he throws it and uh i catch up with him take him down i mount him and I sit over him like this. <laughs> this is, uh, we're in the middle of, we're somewhere. I'm not gonna mention it. We're, we're, we're somewhere there. Uh, <laughs> even though the statute of limitations went out, I didn't do anything illegal. But if I were to do that today, I'd probably get in trouble because somebody will say I'm abusing my power. What did I do? I'd mount him, I'd take off my handcuffs, I put him right next to him. I said, listen, bro, when you get tired of trying to push me off, Matter of fact, let's do this. If you can push me off, I'll let you go. <laughs> well, whatever you do, don't turn your back because then I'm going to have to do a hug. You don't want my hugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's what I would do. I put handcuffs right next to that. I would do stuff. That, if I did that on video nowadays, they would yeah. say that I'm abusing or I'm, I'm putting somebody down. You yeah. Know? But the reality is I didn't even I didn't even hit the guy and just handcuff him because once they get tired, 30 seconds is the magic number. 30 seconds. They yeah. go balls to wall 30 seconds. Your average street fight, 30 seconds and they're dead. I can't yeah. wait until uh Professor Danaher comes out with his I know that he mentioned on your podcast that he's going to he wants to do like a, a video. I think it was on your podcast that he mentioned that he wants to do a video on his bouncing days when he was a bouncer at the clubs in, yeah. in New York City. I don't remember because, that. But yeah. Okay. I'm not sure if I got it from, I've listened to so many videos lately. I was <laughs> a bunch of yours and a bunch of his from mother, but um, I can't wait for that video because I want to see he's brilliant. We can all agree on that, but I want to know the stuff that he was using because he mm -hmm. didn't have any impact weapons. It was all hands-on mm -hmm. and it's not like, you don't want to be grappling in a club surrounded by people. You need to control or get that threat out of there as quickly as possible. The last place you want to be is on the ground where somebody's going to walk in, feel, go kick your head off. Yeah. You understand? So let me, let me prompt you on something here because we're talking about something that's so 
fundamental to life, to business, to training, anything that you want to master. And that's understanding the fundamentals of anything that you do. And you had this experience, you came out of the police academy and they graduated you with essentially no functional skills to survive that first encounter. Well, I find that college can be a very similar experience for a vast majority of the people that go to college. Not everybody, not everybody comes out of the police academy has the same experience, but the things that you go and have to teach yourself afterwards in the continuing education, um, those fundamentals are truly, in my opinion, what make all the difference. Now, once you were out in the field and you're in the field and you're training and you're in the field and you're training every night going back to jujitsu, you took your, you took your, your experience as an officer on the street and now you're filtering it through jujitsu, right? That's, in my opinion, what's missing so often in business world and with entrepreneurs, people starting businesses. It's changing a lot now. But what I always found incredible about learning on the job and afterwards is that you're filtering it through your experiences. When I took accounting in college, I didn't have any business experience. So it was all abstract principles. They could have taught me about accounting. It wasn't until many years into my career when I went back and took accounting again that I said, oh, now it all kind of clicks because I was filtering my own experiences through the techniques. So jujitsu gave me a technical framework to apply to business. So I'm wondering, as I'm listening to you talk about this and you're promoting jujitsu to, to other officers and you're saying just six months, just six months, that's all you need. You don't have to do any fancy techniques. How are you bringing jujitsu to police officers? Like, what are you doing to bring these techniques to them? Um, through my YouTube channel, I, I post a lot of videos for law enforcement. Yeah. Um, through interviews That's like this, just creating awareness for uh, other departments because everybody wants an answer. I know the answer. All jujitsu guys know the answer, but the ones that were fighting are non-jujitsu people, the ones at the top right. that are making these decisions on what a department needs or doesn't need, those are not jujitsu people. And they're the ones making the decision on what kind of training cops are getting in general. So yeah. it's been an uphill battle. In 2003 is when I actually, no, less than, no, it was earlier than that. Uh, once I started training jujitsu, I started implement uh, teaching jujitsu at the police academy as well. In 2003, I was a police instructor at the Miami-Dade Police Department, 3,000 man department. That's actually when I really started to blossom out and start teaching cops what I knew. And it's like we go back earlier, it's there's not a whole fancy. You don't need to teach so many things. It goes back to what I said. Teach him a good takedown. Teach him how to stop somebody from taking him down. Those are little uh, defense prevention on, on takedowns. Teach him how to control someone from the mount, from the side mount. Um, you know, stuff like that, but nothing general. We're talking about really just control. I don't even teach any submissions. Armbar, I've never taught an armbar in a police seminar. And I do many police seminars. I teach uh, a lot of seminars down here in Miami to the city of Miami. Uh, I've, I've taught them in my department. 
and other departments around here and ask me if I've ever taught an arm bar. I don't. Some people, they want to, hey, can, can, can I do an arm bar with Oma Plata? I go, yeah, that's good to know, but that's stuff that you would only use in your academy. You wouldn't be using that in the street because it wouldn't have to go that far. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, when I, I when when I'm teaching these seminars, I, I, I and I promote that exposure. I'm not promoting violence. I am not. I have those classes, but I really don't. When I teach a police seminar, I don't even teach any striking. Mm. I tell them, hey, you guys want to teach them striking? You guys do that on your own. I'm going to teach you how to maximize that control. How you can get the most aggressive of the aggressive guys. We're talking hands-on, not talking gun-on-gun. Gun. That's different. We're talking about a guy that you show up. He, it's a domestic violence call, for example. You show up. He beat up his wife or, or whatever, and you say, and you made the decision, hey, listen, buddy, you got to go to jail. And the guy turns around and said, listen, I ain't going to jail, bro. And if I am, put the handcuffs on me. Let's go. Just like I beat her up, I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> really? Yeah. I would love for him to tell me that. Absolutely <laughs> love for him to tell me that. I'd be like, shut the door, take off my belt. Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'd make it fair. I'd make it completely fair. So man, I got stories that I can't actually really say on here. Uh, <laughs> well, let me then let me ask I'm you this. Still in the department, so I don't <laughs> Hold on. Let that. me ask you this question. So in your 20 plus years of experience as a police officer. Are most of the encounters like that, where it's jujitsu is going to work hand to hand? Like you did not have to pull out your gun. You felt like you're going to take them down and control them and you can get the cuffs on them or you could subdue them. I would say the vast majority of the incidents that I see on, 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 you know, on social media where a cop is fighting somebody, uh, even the non-jujitsu, even the non-cops that trained jujitsu are like, oh my God, that's so easy. That could have been controlled by doing this, 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 or this. And this guy who's a cop is completely clueless. Not, not, he doesn't sim, but the other four in uniform around them, they're all clueless. That's a reflection of the training in the department. Yeah. W what happened in Minneapolis with uh, the George Floyd? George Floyd that's murder. That's the reflection of training in the entire department. Mm -hmm. I say that because there was more than one officer there. Nobody stepped up to tell this guy, hey, listen, bro, you got your knee on his neck. That's it. It's over. Because yeah. I know I've done it. Yeah. I've, done, I, I've, I've been on a scene where a cop was going overboard. And I say, bro, you need to stop it already. Stop. You keep going, yep. you're going to put me in trouble. You're going to put everybody else in trouble. You need to control yourself. Yep. Some cop needs to take control there. And you know, that's that, how it that, is. That, that incident hurt me as a martial artist because I and you, we know what it feels like to use that kind of knee pressure. Forget on, on someone's neck. You know, Even if it's just like my knee on belly or knee on the sternum, like the kind of pressure that you can create in 10 seconds much less that, you know, all the 10 minutes, however long he was on there, uh, that guy, that officer deserves what, whatever's going to come to him. But what I'll say is this, and I think that this is an important uh, lesson for everyone to hear. Every religion 
has assholes. Every political party has assholes. Police have assholes. There's always going to be. That's not a reflection on the police, you know, in my opinion. That is a reflection on a bad police officer. You know, and then you have guys like you out there. And I actually, this morning, I was watching a video, uh, Henner Gracie from the Gracie Academy. He seems to be doing incredible work and yes. making a real impact. I mean, he's, I think he's actually changing policy in uh, precincts all over the country now. Um, he's a really talented businessman, Henner Gracie. I don't know if you, if you follow him or know him, but he does yeah. similar thing too. And I know uh, him pretty well. <laughs> you do know him well. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have any commentary on his ability or his skill set or what he's doing, but I see what he's doing like you. He's trying to affect change and make change. And um, and I think that's such a noble cause because I really do believe that jujitsu is a superpower. And you said something at the beginning of this interview, which was that you stopped this guy in his tracks with your words. You, you, you threw him off. He was running at you, right? And you said, you, you, whoa, whoa, is everything okay? You know, and that was, that is also jujitsu. You didn't have the other, the, to back it up with the physical aspect of jujitsu, but jujitsu is so much more than just the physical techniques. It gives you the confidence to walk into a room differently, to enter a subway cart differently, to disarm somebody and just ha just knowing that you have the ability to take that person down and subdue them and control them, I try to explain that to my wife and to my em employees sometimes. Jiu-jitsu is not just knowing how to do an arm bar. It's knowing how to walk out of a building and look, look both ways. You know, in front of my office, there's four cars that are always parked there. And I always look to see, is there somebody in the front seat? That's awareness. That jiu-jitsu, it's so much more than just um, fighting or rolling around at night. It really does give you a confidence and an awareness that I think that it's uh, missing in a lot of other martial arts. Because it's, jujitsu is not just about, it's not just a martial art, it's a life enhancing art. It applied correctly, and, uh, which it should be, it, it just enhances everything, your lifestyle, the way you eat. You're gonna find yourself eating better. You're gonna find yourself, um, uh, just being more co uh, conscious of, of, of what you do in life. At least that's how I operate. You know, I want to be the very best that I can be both in and off of the mat that involves my police work that involves my personal conduct as a, as a school Academy owner now, business owner. Now I, I learn even more the power of walking the talk. Mm. You know, and, and, and that is real big on my list. Um, in 2008, when I decided in 2008, the seed was implanted to me on actually it was not 2008 was like in 2010. In 2008, we had the big problems with the economy. I don't know if you remember that. Of course I do. Okay. <laughs> I lived it. But in 2000, uh, around that time, around 2009-ish, getting close to 2010, I'm working out with my friend in the gym, and he and I was already a black belt. I got my black belt in 2008, mm. and my friend's working out with me, and we're both cops, and he's like, hey, Fred, aren't you jiu-jitsu black belt? I go, yeah. Don't you teach at the police academy? I go, yeah. How come you're not teaching on your own? Have your own academy. Never occurred to me. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was doing the police work. He 
goes, yeah. yeah, man. And we were in a gym. And he said, you see these little empty rooms where they're doing uh, Pilates or whatever you call that in one room, yoga in another, spinning in another. All these are individual instructors that just rent out a room and teach a class. You could do the same. You just go in there, rent a room, and start teaching jiu-jitsu. So I thought about it, created a flyer, put it up, and the first two, I would say the first three weeks, nobody walked in. I sat there in my kimono. Nobody would walk in. <laughs> and then on the third, and plenty of people walking by it because there was nobody in there. Nobody would walk in. Finally, one day, the guy, one guy sticks his head in the door and he says, am I late? And I go, no, you're in time for your private lesson. Come on in. <laughs> Dude, three weeks. Most people would have probably given up. I mm. sat there for three weeks. And again, I was a cop. I was a cop at a young age. I knew nothing on business. Nothing. Zero. I've had to teach myself. Thank God for Earl Nightingale and all these um, videos th uh, that I listened to on YouTube that helped set uh, a road for me to be successful. I listened to all of this. I, 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 I'm like a sponge. And so I started putting into practice, you know, if you, if you have a love for something, I remember one of these quotes from Earl Nightingale, if you have a love for something, you're good at it, and there's a demand for it, it's very hard to fail. Mm. And I knew I was, people were telling me I was good at teaching. I didn't know how good I was because I didn't have an actual academy. But when I started teaching, that one person came back the next day with two of his friends. And before I knew it, within a week, I overflowed my entire class. And I was like, my, my, my hairs would stand because I'm like, is this really me that's doing this? You know, how am I doing this? You know? And, um, so make a long story because I don't want to drag this on. Um, I moved from that place. I was able to um, gain enough money to open my first place, my, my second place, an actual location that a friend helped me uh, uh, obtain. And then after that, I was only there for one year and I had to already move to my third place because I was growing that. And then that's when I started teaching kids. When That's when I really started to explode, teaching kids. And that's another... I didn't want to teach kids. <laughs> I didn't want to deal with them little kids running all over the place. I go, oh, my God, no, I don't want to deal with that. I can barely deal with my own kids. I got to deal with someone <laughs> else's kids. <laughs> and my kids were small back then. But then something... Um, I think it was Pedro Valente who had told me, Freddie, take your kids to class. Have them be in class, have fun with them, and you'll see how everything starts coming together. Mm. So I followed that. I brought my kids to class. I said, that's a great idea. I brought my kids. We're going to be in class, and we made the class fun. A lot of, I made it very, very fun. And I, I remember I, after my first class with the kids' class, oh, I know what I did. I know exactly <laughs> what I did. I, um, I told all my adult students, whoever has kids, do me a favor. Bring your kids every day this week at five o'clock 
I'm going to teach the kids classes. I've never taught kids before, but you guys are going to help me uh, because I'm going to see if this is going to work. And since they were my new students, they understood mm -hmm. and they all brought me their kids. So uh, the next week I had a bunch of little kids and after the first class, I finished and I, in my mind, I'm like, oh God, I didn't do too well. <laughs> You're white though. Every, every person in there came up to me and they said, Freddie, that was amazing. You're a natural with, with, with the kids, especially with the kids, you're a natural. I don't know if you've seen some of my videos with the kids. You, mm. I, I put a few of them out there. I haven't put any recently because of all the, yeah. the, the nonsense going on with, uh, lately. So I've kind of slowed down a little bit on it, but I was really good with the kids. And then that's when I really exploded. Right? So it was a whole new element, new to, new to business, new to teaching, and new to teaching kids. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a definite learning curve. I've made many mistakes and that's, I apply the same concepts of jujitsu. When you're brand new, you're going to make many mistakes. You're going to get tapped many times. If you walk mm -hmm. into an academy and you're tapping people out and you're new or nobody's catching you, you're probably in the wrong academy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So, um, I tell my new people when they come in, hey, it could be athletics. I say, I know you're strong. This is a different game. Get your mindset ready. You're going to lose. You got to experience losing. You can learn to value what winning is. Okay. So for the most part, the same principles I use for jujitsu business, I use for my life and it works very, very well. They go hand in hand. I can't be the opposite of what I am on the mats. It just doesn't work for me. And I tend to socialize and, and surround myself with brilliant minds, with smarter people than myself, because although they're smarter than me, I am still getting, I'm still picking up on that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love listening to, to your podcast. I love listening to Professor Don Danaher, um, uh, my instructor, Professor Tom DeBlas. I love listening to them. You know, they got a lot of experience. They've been around this game for a while. Yeah. And I just... I'm just picking, picking stuff, and I it's, go with uh, it. I've been talking to Tom about coming on the podcast. He's going to be coming on, I hope. And uh, uh, last Amazing. week, I recorded with uh, Ricardo Almedia, who is incredible. Tom's professor, and he had so many, so many things to offer. One of the things that we discussed was he's he's through his children. He started taking up running because his children are cross country runners, and Ricardo's been posting a lot about his running which is something I also picked up later in my life in my 30s. So as I hear you talking about this same thing of this principle of basically beginner's mind, like you are, you're evolving and growing and learning and you've had a 20 plus year career, but now you, you're still so thirsty for knowledge, listening to podcasts and bringing it back into your business. And I really do think that is the, the root and the essence of jujitsu. I heard you say something on a podcast or somewhere and it was something along the lines of um, when you met Tom DeBlas, he exposed a piece of your jujitsu. And he basically said, to <laughs> you, like, you're great at jujitsu, but like, I'm going to show you, you know, where you're not so strong. Can you talk about that? Uh, that's putting it nicely. <laughs> if you know Tom, <laughs> he's nice, but that's not how it came out. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm a polished guy, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not rough around the edges like that. <laughs> Listen, um, I, I went to two different uh, academies with two different uh, 
I used the right word. They're both jujitsu. I would say Pedro was more on the self-defense side of it. Because mm -hmm. he's not he's not into any sport. He's more into the self-defense side of it, which appealed to me as a cop when I was younger. Mm -hmm. But then uh, Tom is a little bit of everything. He has a self-defense, but he has also that that freaking sports side of him that I was missing. Mm -hmm. I was really good in jujitsu, but not as good as these guys. Nowhere near. And they were doing stuff. I was like, I've never even seen this stuff before. But anyway, my approach when I first started with Tom, how I met Tom, um, I went to his academy one time in uh, in New Jersey. And I was I thought I was doing good. I thought I was doing okay. Not to a few people catch me. You know, you're always gonna get caught. Everybody gets caught. It's no big deal. I'm not worried about that. But not everybody, I was not people weren't walking through me. You know, you gotta work to get me. And I feel good about that. That's fine. When I was done, I I, I would let people uh, I wouldn't put so much resistance on keeping you from passing my guard because I had good defense from the side. And so when I was done, I look at him and he's looking at me, but he's not smiling. He looks pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe somebody told them something has nothing to do with me. <laughs> when I go up to him, I go, hey, so... Uh, what do you think? He goes, I don't say anything. You have good defense and about the worst guard defense I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Dude, I was like, your, your defense at stopping people from getting past your legs is horrendous. Whatever you're doing, throw it away. And this is what you're going to start doing now. And then that's when he taught me. I didn't know. He's really known for his half-guard, Z-guard. Mm -hmm. it's and, and his guard pass defense is insane. So he said, forget about all that. This is what you're going to do now. You're going to be on me? This is what you're going to do now. Yeah, I think the only guy to ever pass his guard is Orlando Sanchez at ADCC, like that one time, right? I think that's what Tom know. says. I think he says he's only been his only had his guard passed once. And to get a guard passed by that animal, <laughs> that guy's like three hundred pounds. Yeah, and he moves like a gazelle. Yeah, I mean uh, that's not something that that you gotta be worried about mentioning because I gotta pass ninety nine percent of those watching this as guard. So, yeah. anyways. Um, but my game changed tremendously from one day to the next. He was right. I took it as destructive criticism. I sat back and instead of getting upset, I said, well, what is it that he sees from my from his eyes that I don't see? Okay, he sees I got good defense. I have a general good game, but I am lacking big time on stopping somebody from getting past your legs. And then he mentioned it straight. He, he even went more into, if you're a self-defense guy, think about this. If you are in a fight and you get put on your back, either by accident, you fell, or he took you down. The only thing saving you from getting your head bashed in is your legs. Because he has to get past your legs. 
So there is scales to this. So, you know, the fights start standing. There's level. The, the first stages start standing. Then perhaps there's a clinch or a knockout. Then it goes to the ground. Once it gets to the ground, the next progression is to get past the legs to a position where you can, you know, effectively strike or control better. You have to get past the legs. So he said, Freddie, if they can't get past your legs, how are they going to hit you? But if you let them get past your legs, you can have all the defense in the world, but you hear this cliche over and over again. It only takes one hit to destroy your entire game. And you're gambling that that guy slips in the hit, hits you, and there goes your defense. There goes everything. Why not put more emphasis on preventing them from getting past your legs? Then you don't have to worry about it so much. Because think about who we're practicing against? Who are we practicing to stop from getting past our legs? Other jujitsu students that know how to pass. So if I take regular Joe Blow off the street, he's never seen jujitsu a day in his life, and he sees me on my back, he's already assuming that I'm losing the fight to begin with in his mind. Mm -hmm. But then he's going to want to get past my legs. How? How is he going to get past my legs? When if an advanced guy can't pass your legs, how is this guy with no knowledge going to get past your legs? Bing! That was a light bulb to me. Speaking of light bulbs, getting dark in here. Oh. That, was, <laughs> that, that was a light bulb to me. That made perfect sense. I said, you are absolutely right. And from that day on, not only did it change my outlook on my approach to jiu-jitsu, it changed all of my students' approach to jiu-jitsu. And now, for the most part, my academy is they're very good guard players. It's not easy to get past their guards. And I feel proud at that, that I learned the hard way. But well, I think the thing, the lesson here for business jujitsu, and the thing that you should be most proud of is that you were open to hearing constructive criticism. So many people are not open to hearing criticism. The fact that you were willing to take this advice and learn from someone at an advanced stage, you're already a black belt, fundamentally changed your academy, your, your approach to jujitsu, and I imagine your approach to life. But do you know, at that point, like, were you always open to change? Were you always open to hearing people's advice and, and recommendations? Or was this a learn trait? Yes, which is the reason why I, I moved on. I did my, my time with, with Pedro, and I just felt it was time for me to move on and do my own thing, and that's yeah. where I did. And, I, and I, wanted to, I wanted to train with other minds. I wanted to visit. I went to the Gracie Academy, California. I, took, I got certified in their Gracie combatives, although I already knew everything they were teaching because it's the same thing that Pedro was teaching down here. Remember, they're mirror academies. They're teaching basically the exact same thing. So when I went there, I'm like, absolutely everything they're doing here, I could teach all these guys. That's how well I know this. But I did it anyway because my department sent me and, and it's just to get that good knowledge. And, and yes, you may see a different instructor. I can put five instructors. Each five instructors is going to teach a Kimura a, a different way. And you may find a way that you're like, wait a minute, I can see where that's useful in what I'm doing. Branched out on my own, and then I started training with with Tom DeBloss and 
And then I started going to New York and, and, and taking more classes and, and watching all the instructionals that I get from uh, BJJ Fanatics. It's phenomenal what they're doing. Uh, thank God for what they're doing there. Did, did you watch uh, the podcast with uh, the, one of the founders, Mike Zenga? I've yet to see that one. I will watch it. I'm curious. That's, that's, that a, that's, a, that's a really the good business idea. mind be, behind that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I wanna, I'm curious. Before we wrap up, I just want to tell you a quick story from my own Tom DeGrasse moment. When I was 28 years old and, and coming up and starting my business, Mixology Clothing Company, we were in the wake of Hurricane Sandy here on Long Island. And Hurricane Sandy effectively shut our whole business down. And um, at that point in the business, I was operating the website and I really didn't have much to do with the retail operations. I had a business partner who was really more the retail minded, minded guy. And the, 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 the hurricane shut down the whole business. Mm -hmm. So my father, who was the major funder of Mixology said, Jordan, do me a favor, spend a few days with our business partner and just say, should we shut down this whole business? At that point it was young or should we keep it going? And I spent a few days with him. And what I found was basically a, a number of stores with no business fundamentals, zero. It would be like going to a jujitsu academy where there was a white belt instructing the, the students. And I said, you know, let's see if we could take all the best practices from our real estate business, because that was my primary discipline, real estate. And let's see if we could apply it to the, to the clothing business and see what happens. So we started adding bookkeeping. We started adding PO, you know, purchase orders, invoicing. I set up QuickBooks and we just got the fundamentals in order of the business. And six months later, we doubled the size of the business. We were doing at the time, I think around a million five and we went on a, on a run rate to about 3 million. And I had all this crazy, I was 28 years old. I had insane success and my ego was on fire. I saved the business, right? So my dad and I go to a private equity investor. His name's Keith Miller. And this guy has been behind some of the biggest brand launches. You might know the brand Supreme. Have you ever heard of Supreme? It's like a skate brand, multi-billion dollar brand. Uh, All Saints, Gap, Intermix. I mean, the guy is just a legend. And he's asking me all these questions and I don't know the answers. And here I am, this small businessman, this little, like I was a, basically a whale in a fishbowl, and here's a whale in the ocean. <laughs> he says to me, he goes, Jordan, you're a really nice kid, but you don't know enough about your business. And this was a pivotal point in my career. I walked out of that meeting. I was literally shaking. And I had two options. I could say, F him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm the man. I doubled my sales in the year. I saved the business. I, I, I or I could have learned. And I went back and I wrote down every single question that I didn't know the answer to. And I called some of my advisors and consultants in the business. And I said, you gotta teach me about four wall margin. You gotta teach me about inventory turnover. You gotta teach me about all these questions that he asked me. Well, that was about uh, eight years ago. And I still keep in touch with Keith Miller today, this guy. And I wrote about this in my first book, but that was my Tom DeBlass moment. You know, that was the, 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 this pivotal point in my career where I could have been just another average small businessman who thinks he knows everything, or it was the, the moment where I was on the path to my business black belt, where I said, no, I'm going to keep sharpening my sword every day, humbling myself, humbling my ego. And I truly, um, two things 
prepared me for that moment in business. One, at the time, I think I was a, a blue belt in jujitsu. And two, I was reading like you, absorbing everything like a sponge. I was reading like crazy. And I used to write down all the books that I would read. And around that time, I was reading this book, Money by Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins was talking about uh, where success leaves clues and where your focus goes, your energy flows. And I was learning all these lessons. And what I love so much about your story is that you were ready to take in the information. You know, you had these transformative moments in your life. You almost faced your death, which made you find jujitsu. Now you're a black belt and you meet Tom DeBlass and he basically, for all intents and purposes, says, you're not a black, I'm gonna make you a better black belt. And you were so ready to take that information. And I just, I really relate to you, Freddie, and I admire your journey so much. Uh, I, I just can't tell you how much I enjoy talking to you today and hearing your stories. Really hope that we could do this again and start to explore some of the some of the other things that you're working on as part of your program for the police officers. I would love to. Um, yeah, and for for I like to end this on uh, for anybody out there that's teaching cops, I'll give you some advice because um, again, I'm on the inside, and although Henner, like for example, they mean very well. At the end of the day, they're still not cops. And when you're on the inside, you kind of get a better understanding of how things work, mm. you know, just like in business. And I'll tell you, it's 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 fighting. Uh, it's been an uphill battle to get most apartments to see the value, the asset of jujitsu. But it's getting there. It is getting there. But for those that are teaching cops, don't spend if, if a cop asked you, what can I do in police work? Kimoras. <laughs> Kimoras mm -hmm. all day. They don't need to know arm bars. You don't need... An arm bar is a position where you could submit him, and he usually taps, but if, if there's no submission in a street fight because he's not going to know, you're going to have to call inflict damage. Mm. And now once you cause damage, now you're hurting the guy. Now you have to do a use of force It'll be a, 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 a it'll be a mark against credit. It doesn't look good. Yeah. Not only that, you put a foot across his face, he's gonna bite you. Do you want a guy with hepatitis, with, with AIDS, or or whatever biting you? I don't. I don't want any of that stuff. So don't do that. Practice. Concentrate on kimoras. Some good takedowns. Some good control from the side and out. Perhaps some back. You can't really do any strangles anymore, but that's fine. You don't need to. You don't need to do strangles. Just control. Yeah. Just control. So that's pretty much it. I, I really appreciate you having me, um, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. And like you said, yes, yeah, those help self-help books uh, that I read, uh, uh, they're invaluable. I, I still, to this day, am constantly looking at them and... And I still go take courses from other. Uh, I'm gonna go do one in uh, Vegas, hopefully soon. Uh, they have another uh, uh, course out there for law enforcement that I wanna do. I just wanna get as much knowledge as I possibly can. But if you're ever down in Miami, or down, come down here, uh, visit, and uh, we'll go over some stuff, man. I'd, I'd be delighted to, to uh, hit the match with you. I will. 100% be taking you up on that. In a normal year, non-COVID year, I'm down in Miami and Florida at least six or seven times a year. 
this year I've only been one time uh, and, and I will absolutely be back soon. As a matter of fact, uh, my business is going to be expanding down into Florida very likely. I'm going to be opening some stores in South Florida. So uh, we are actively looking for new locations and I'm going to be I would say that I will. Pro I could probably have ten of my retail locations between Palm Beach and Miami. I think that there's enough uh, enough of a market down there to have a ten of my Mixology Clothing Company stores. So uh, every time that I've come down over the years, I, I always bring my gi and my rash guard, and I've trained at many academies in South Florida. Uh, Manny Soras is, is in Boca Raton. Do you know Manny by any chance? I know who he is. I've never yeah, he's met part him, of the I've, I've trained with him over the years and it just developed a really nice relationship with people. But I love what you said. I can't wait to uh, to learn from you as well. And hopefully I can can take some of the, the basic principles from when police wafted the door of our academy, Budokan, here in New York. And so we can give them some some really good instruction. I used to go to New York a lot, but I don't know if I'm going to go anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a whole nother conversation and one that we'll have to, we'll have to save for next time. <laughs> hey man, thank you very much. And uh, for those watching, if you want to see any of my police videos or, or jujitsu videos, I have yeah. a bunch of both, uh, go to Trillo, uh, jujitsu Academy on YouTube. Yeah. And you'll I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen with you with, uh, with the, the audience right now. Here awesome. is, uh, your Instagram. It's Freddie underscore Trillo. That's my uh, personal. Then I also have Trillo uh, Trillo Academy. So, but they're here's, good. Here is uh, the Trillo Academy. Yeah. Trillo underscore Academy. And then I also want to make sure we get your YouTube account. You see the guy with the gun in the picture? <laughs> I do see that. Oh, here's your Academy. Yeah, the YouTube on. channel is the, the, the ones where you'll see most of the, uh, the, um, the videos that you guys are enjoy and, and mm -hmm. take it. Use them. I don't create, I don't, uh, I didn't do anything. I just use what I've learned and apply yeah. is, it for you is guys. Is this you? Um, oh no, I'm in, I'm on matrix. Uh, this was a, a video that you filmed and I will get, I, I have, I have all sorts. I have a video where I blindfold myself and I have mm -hmm. the guy try to go for my gun and I'm just oh, defending wow. it from various positions. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and again, uh, I don't use any striking. Trillo Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Academy on YouTube is how that uh, everyone can find you there. Yes. All right. Well, uh, I'll put those links in the in the bio as well so everybody can find them. Thank you, Jordan, and everybody for listening up. I appreciate it. And uh, guys, go train. Keep training. Keep training Jiu-Jitsu and spreading the word. Jordan, you're doing a great job, man. Hope to see you soon. Thank you so much, Freddie.